Amen. Thank you and remain standing if you would. As we open the word of God in respect to his word. To book of Hebrews. Chapter number seven. Hebrews chapter seven. I've been moved by the Spirit this morning just to hear His praises uttered, just to hear the voices of the people of God singing forth His testimonies. It just Nothing in this world deserves that type of attention. Nothing in this world deserves that kind of adoration. Nothing in this world deserves our praise. He does. Look with me if you would. The book of Hebrews chapter 7. Look at verse number 11 with me. If therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law. What further need was there that another priest should rise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? For the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also to the law. For he of whom these things are spoken pertaineth to another tribe of which no man gave attendance at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord sprang out of Judah, of which the tribe Moses spake nothing concerning priesthood. And it is yet far more evident that for that after the similitude of Melchizedek, there ariseth another priest, who is made not after the law of a carnal commandment, but after the power of an endless life. For he testifieth. Thou art a priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. For there is verily a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did, by the which we draw nigh unto God. Father, bless, we pray, the reading of your word to our hearts. And Father, that our lives would be given completely to its application. Help us this morning to rightly divide the word of truth, to understand it, and to allow your Holy Spirit of God to change us because of it. For it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. I think you may be seated. Imagine for a moment, if you would, Spending your whole life following a set of beliefs only to have someone come along and tell you they are no longer necessary. You've spent your entire life following not just rules that your mother and father set up, but rules that they themselves followed and the people before them followed and the generations prior to that followed. 
And then all of a sudden, you have questions undoubtedly arise in your mind of the importance that they played, and, and, and could they not still be incorporated in your life today? This is the position that the Jews found themselves in because of Christ. Now, think back for just a moment, uh, the, the case of the Jewish believers for almost 1,500 years they had been following the Mosaic uh, system of the Levitical law. For almost 1,500 years, they had been uh, experiencing this, uh, this idea of the priesthood and uh, their making atonement for their sins. For almost 1,500 years, they had, uh, they had made their way in this. From the very beginning, sacrifice was made, and then you can even follow not just the sacrifice, because take it back to the beginning where you have Adam and Eve, they had sinned, they were uh, sent out of the garden, and shortly thereafter they had two sons, Cain and Abel, and one of them says to the other, let's go offer sacrifice. So sacrifice was instituted long before the Mosaic system, but what you had is the Levitical law organized that sacrificial system in a specific way. And so you have all this kind of making its way through, uh, through becoming a mighty nation uh, to being an exile group, an occupied group. They were occupied by Babylon, by Persia. And they, they went through all these different uh, uh, occupations, and they were, uh, they were taken not, not, only, uh, not only by, uh, by the Babylonians, but the Persians, and you have these different tribes coming in and trying to overstep. And they had maintained their Levitical system through it all. They had continuously, there were times where they would drift away from it, and then they would come back to it. They would drift away, and then they would come back. And for uh, approximately 1,500 years, a little, little less than, you had this group of people holding on. And I don't know if you are familiar. Maybe you've uh, seen it years ago. Most of the young people today probably have no idea what I'm getting ready to talk about. But you have Tevia saying tradition, tradition, tradition from the fiddler on the roof, right? Taking back his tradition, tradition, tradition. This is a group of people who were seeped in it. They, they had for, uh, for all their lives, they had grown up knowing that they had to do this in order to approach God. Year after year, the daily sacrifices or the yearly sacrifices would be made. And the Bible lets us know that the Levitical priesthood was in the, in the temple making sacrifices daily. This is something that they grew up with, something that they understood the importance of it. You do not forego this practice. And then someone comes along and says, it's not by the blood of bulls and goats. And here you are, a Jewish believer, a Jewish convert. You have seen the Christ as the Messiah. You, you have accepted him, not as someone just merely sent by God, but God himself. You have elected to follow him, but you've got in the back of your mind all these practices that you grew up with, and they were so important. Perhaps I shouldn't just completely abandon them, Maybe I need to incorporate them both. Paul dealt with this in the book of Galatians, and he, he looked back to the same type of situation. You had the Judaizers trying to bring certain things in. If you want to be a Christian, you need to incorporate this as well. And Paul addressed it. But here we have the writer of Hebrews doing what I believe is a masterful job 
in a very brief portion of Scripture. We've been making our way through the book of Hebrews, and this has been a very interesting study. I have thoroughly enjoyed it. The book of Hebrews is probably one of the deepest New Testament books you're going to come across. I would venture a guess, and some people can disagree with me. That's all right. When we get to heaven, we'll find out who's correct. But the book of Revelation would be an easier task to study sometimes, I think, than the book of Hebrews. Because the book of Hebrews requires you to not simply study uh, one area of Scripture. You have to be well-versed in multiple areas, and you have to have a very good working knowledge of the Levitical system in order to understand what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across. It's one of those portions of Scripture that makes you, kind of forces you to study the portions that you wanted to skip. And so you kind of jump ahead, well, I'm just going to read the book of Hebrews, and then you're reading that because you don't want to read the book of Leviticus because I think Leviticus is just boring, and I don't want to read Leviticus, so I'm going to jump over to the New Testament. Yeah, I'm going to read Hebrews. Wake up. Now you got to go back to Leviticus to find out what he's talking about in Hebrews. And so as we get into this, I want you to put yourself into the mindset of someone who would have been in that very position all their life. They followed this. And we're not saying that what they were doing was wrong. But now, it's no longer necessary. But it wasn't wrong. Nope, wasn't wrong. But now, it's not needed. Correct. And so the question definitely comes into mind, what do you mean (laughs) free from the law? What does that even mean to be free from the law? Now, the writer of Hebrews here, he starts to go into into a concise yet very powerful case that coupling Christ and the Old Testament law is unneeded. And to add anything to Christ's work as a means of salvation is evidence of a gross misunderstanding of the purpose of the law and the need for grace. We cannot couple the two. We must not. And the writer of Hebrews makes it very clear. Uh, and, and he, he jumps right out of the chute in this uh, first verse that we were looking at today. Look at verse number 11 with me. If, therefore, perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there of another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? Drop down, if you would, there to verse number 19. For the law made nothing perfect. The writer of Hebrews doesn't skirt the issue. He doesn't mix words. He wants to make it abundantly clear. The law did not perform perfection for you. It could not, in that it was weak, beggarly. It could not do this. 
So this was not only a struggle, understand, this was not only a struggle for them, but I believe, honestly, many today deal with this as well. Think, for example, the Hindu who in their entire life has embraced a a pantheistic uh, worldview where there are uh, thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of thousands of gods only to be told there's only one that you need. Many of them will gladly take him in addition to, but to say that the rest of them are null and void and I only need the one, that's a big struggle that they're going to face. Think for a, a moment someone who's coming from a sacramental system where not only do they, uh, they have to trust Christ as their personal Savior, but they also have to take communion. They also have to be baptized. They also have to do this. They also have to do that. And, and if you are only, if you're only trusting in Christ as Savior and you're not following through the sacramental system, then you, my friend, are, are lost. I, I'm sorry. I just need to let you know something. That is not the case. And for someone to have grown up in that, to let go of that is a difficult thing. Don't expect it to happen overnight. Not only that, but maybe it's someone who grew up in a legalistic belief system where certain practices could lead you to the loss of your salvation. And your entire life, you have, you have worked hard. Okay, I got saved, but now I've got to keep my salvation. And if I, if I, if I wear the wrong thing, say the wrong thing, go to the wrong place, do the wrong thing, watch the wrong thing, listen to the, I'm going to lose my salvation. That's a difficult thing for some of them to let go of. And the writer of Hebrews wants to try to address some of this with the, with the Jewish believers. Remember, adding anything to Christ's work as a means of salvation is a complete misunderstanding of what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, we're going to notice a few things in this book. And I want to point out very quickly in verse number 11, you have one of the key words to this entire epistle. If therefore, perfection. The word perfect is one of the key words to understanding this entire book. The writer of Hebrews, uh, as we as we made our way into this study, I tried to explain exactly what he was putting out there. He was not uh, not merely saying that Jesus is the way, but he's saying it's better than anything else. Because only through Christ do we find perfection. The idea of being perfect, this key word perfect, it's from the Greek teleos, which means to bring to completion, to fully realize. It, it, it brings it the idea of lacking in absolutely nothing. Nothing's missing from it. To put together, I don't know, have you ever gotten a, maybe you got a puzzle, you got one of those 5,000-piece puzzles. You get to piece number 4,999, and 5,000 is missing. And it just makes you want to pick up the table and chuck it out the window. It's not finished. And some sweet person will come by and go, oh, it's close enough. I don't know about you, but I have a difficulty with that. I did 4,999. I want my 5,000th piece. I've got half of mine to take a picture, send it to the company that gave me the puzzle, and expect them by Monday 
to send me a replacement. And I don't want a whole nother puzzle. I want that piece that's missing. So they can open the box, put the puzzle together, 4,999 pieces, and figure out which one is missing and send me that one. I don't know about you. I like things finished. Complete. This is the idea that this word perfect means. It's used some 12 times in this book referring to Jesus' outcome either in, by either way of perfect or perfection or perfected. This is what the writer of Hebrews is trying to get across. I want you to look at just a few things with me this morning. Number one, in dealing with the Jewish affinity toward the law, preacher has to make this striking point that the law made nothing perfect. Could not, perfection could not come by the Old Testament. It's even revealed, he says, he says it's, it's bared out. Go back into Psalm chapter number 110. Psalm 110. Because the question undoubtedly comes in. We refer to Jesus as our prophet, priest, and king. And so the question undoubtedly will, will arise that did, did they really expect this to be a priest? And how is it that he's going to be a priest if he's not out of the tribe of Levi, but he's out of the tribe of Judah? Look at uh, Psalm 110. And just let's start for context sake, verse number one, please. The Lord said unto my Lord, sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Kind of reminiscent of earlier in the book of Hebrews. The Lord shall send the, the rod of thy strength out of Zion. Rule thou in the midst of thine enemies. Thy people shall be willing in the day of thy power, in the beauties of holiness, from the womb of the uh, morning. Thou hast the dew of thy youth. The Lord hath sworn and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, the Lord proclaims that his chosen one, his Messiah, was going to be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, not after the order of Aaron. It was important for them to remember this because you're, de you're definitely going to be coming back and say, well, wait a minute. If he's supposed to be the one that occupies the high priestly office, he's the one that made the sacrifice, he's the one that took the blood into the Holy of Holies. And we'll get into that more as we go through the book of Hebrews. But the, the question must arise to the Jewish mind at least, how is he able to do this if he's not from the line of Levi but of the tribe of Judah? Because God himself called it out and said, you are going to not be a priest after the order of Melchizedek, but, or after the order of Aaron, but after the order of Melchizedek. If the law, he's saying, could have given perfection to people, why does he need to use a different priesthood? And so I wanted to take just a moment this morning and dig a little bit deeper to this Levitical priesthood and the, re, and the, the separating, so to speak, of the law. Since the priesthood, since the priesthood was changed, if you look back again at uh, Hebrews chapter number 7, verse 12, for the priesthood being changed, there is made of necessity a change also to the law. 
<laughs> That's interesting, isn't it? So you have the law that they grew up with for over a thousand years. They've, they've held on to it. And you're going to tell me now all of a sudden that it's changed? Yes. There's a change to take place. The Levitical priesthood was incomplete and could not offer perfection. Think about it. The perfect atonement could not come through ways of imperfect means. And the Levitical priests were imperfect individuals. Go back to the book of Leviticus and look at all that they had to do, just the priests, all that the priests had to do in preparation for making sacrifice for you and for me. If you were to bring your your sacrifice, he had to make sacrifice for himself before he could ever make sacrifice for you. And this did not last. This sacrifice that would be made had to be made again year after year after year. And the Bible says daily they were making these sacrifices. It was a regular occurrence. If they could have offered perfection, if they could have brought about perfection, then there would be no need for them to do it day after day, year after year, month after month. Because here's the problem. You bring a sacrifice, maybe it's your Passover lamb, and you've brought it, and it's been Passover, and you've gone through the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Guess what, my friend? You need another one. And the year hadn't even passed yet. And so as we look at this, it's important for us to see that these Levitical priests are perfect. Notice something else with me, if you would. Understanding that the law needed to be changed because the priesthood was changed, the Mosaic law made no provision for a priest of the tribe of Judah, we need to understand what this change really is because here is where I believe so many in today's church really miss it. How many times have you heard someone spout out something like, free from the law, doesn't matter anymore. I can do whatever I want because I'm free from the law. I've had people justify their actions to me this way. I've, I've, I've talked with him and I, you know, lovingly, brother, do you know that what you're doing is wrong? I'm free from the law. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not what that means. Brother, do you not understand that, that by going down this route, you are leading your family into sin? No, no, no. Hey, can't judge me. I'm free from the law. Matter of fact, I read on the back of a track one day, and I signed my name to it, so I'm free from the law. Wait a minute. That, you might want to reread that track because I don't think that that's what it was trying to get you to do. Sign the dotted line and move on about your happy life and do absolutely nothing different. That's No, stop. we need to realize what change was made. You see, go back with me, if you would, to the book of Colossians. And let's, let's just make our way through a little bit of this uh, New Testament teaching here. Look at Colossians chapter number 2 with me, if you would. Colossians chapter 2, verse, um, look at verse 13. 
and you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Stop for just a minute. You that were once dead in sins, the law could not make you alive. Only Christ could do that. This is what this is saying. Hath he quickened, he made alive, together with him, having uh, forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. The law was in the way of our getting to God. The law is what stood there as a sentinel guarding the gate between God and man. When we come to the law, we come to what was written in the Mosaic system. We, I, am, I am wanting to approach God, but when I come up to the law, I realize I cannot. When I come to what the, what the Word of God teaches me through the Mosaic system, through the law, I realize as I approach that I want to approach God, I want to get to Him, but I cannot. And so God made a way through the Levitical priesthood for men to be able to uh, go through the uh, uh, the the rigid uh, rigid structure of making sure that they themselves were able to bring sacrifice for them so that they could in turn bring it to you so that you could be right with God but the 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 law itself was that guard standing between and when i approach god and realize because of my sin, I cannot. But Jesus, what he did, my friend, is he moved that out of the way. As, as we continue to go through the book of Hebrews, we'll talk a little bit more about the veil that was written to and how at, at one time it was required that the priest be the only one. When he made the sacrifice, he took that blood from the sacrifice, went back into the holy of holies, the holiest place among holy places, and he sprinkled that blood. And here's what would be amazing to me as a priest walking back there, carrying that blood and bringing that blood sacrifice uh, back to sprinkle it on the mercy seat, you know that it was not clean. When he sprinkled it on the mercy seat, he would see the blood from the last time perhaps he had done it and the time before that. And if he was raised in this, perhaps he's able to look as he's sprinkling the blood on the mercy seat and see the blood that his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather had sprinkled. And it should have been a constant reminder, this is not finished. So time and time again, the priests had to go back. But when Jesus stepped in and nailed it to the cross, he made offering once for all. Done. Done. So what happened to the law then? Well, drop back into Galatians chapter number 2. Remember, I was talking that uh, just a little bit ago that Paul himself dealt with this. 
Galatians chapter number two, the believer, uh, the, the uh, Apostle Paul is trying to explain in Galatians two that the believer is dead to the law. Look at verse 19 in Galatians 2. For I through the law am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. Right on to chapter number 3, verse 19. Wherefore then serveth the law? It was added because of transgressions till the seed, talking about the offspring of Abraham, the offspring, not offsprings, the seed should come to whom the promise was made. And it was ordained by angels in the hands of a mediator. Now, a mediator is not a mediator of one, but God is one. Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the Scripture hath concluded all under sin that the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore, the law was our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we are no longer under a schoolmaster. The believer being dead to the law, but this we need to understand the purpose. The purpose, my friend, to bring us to grace. Were it not for the law, we would not understand grace. So again, put yourself in the position. You are wanting to approach God. You are making your way only to hit a brick wall called the law. You can't go any further because your sin prevents you from progressing. The law was given as a teacher, a tutor, keeping us reminded of the seriousness of our sin. But not only the seriousness, but the consequences. Because of my sin, I cannot be with him. I want to, but the law puts a spotlight on the fact that I am not perfect. Catch this statement on the screen, if you would. Free from the law does not mean free to sin. We need to understand what being free from the law means. For me to say, well, I'm free from the law, that means I can do whatever I want to do. <laughs> Praise God. I can go get as drunk as I want, as high as I want. I'm gonna do it. it doesn't matter to me. Who I'll run them off the road. It doesn't matter. That's not what that Verses teaching. Notice what we are free from and to. The question which crosses many minds quickly arises. Freed from the law so nothing is off limits? No, no, no. Stop right there. The law was never meant to save. The law was only meant to point to the one who could. Everything in the 
sacrificial system was about pointing to the need of a redeemer. Everything in there. You even go back to verse number 11 here in uh, Hebrews, and he says, if the law, if therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, people look at, okay, wait a minute, did, did, did the law come from the priest or did the priest come from the law? The entirety of the Levitical law, the entirety of the Mosaic system was built around the sacrificial system. This causes sin, you need a sacrifice. This causes, uh, 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 this causes death and brings separation between you and God, you need a sacrifice. This is wrong, you need a sacrifice. This is wrong, you need a sacrifice. Everything was putting us back to the need of a priest making atonement for us. So when we no longer need those priests, where does the law come into play? Go with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. I tell you, there's uh, something about this. Romans chapter number 3, there's something about this particular part of the, of the book of Hebrews that just, it, it, it makes me quickly charismatic, okay? I'm about to go Baptocostal on some folks here, all right? You're going to love this. Romans chapter 3, and if you don't love it, get saved. Maybe you'll love it. That's a joke. Not really, but anyway, all right. Look at Romans chapter number 3, and look at verse number 31. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. To all those out there who want to say, I don't have to attend, I don't have to do this, I don't have to give up that. I don't have to live this type of life. I don't have to. Stop. We do not void it out. We establish it. By placing my trust in Jesus Christ, I don't say the law was worthless. I actually affirm that the law was worth something. By placing my trust in Jesus Christ, I'm basically putting my stamp that, yes, that was right. What makes me think that pre-salvation, pre-faith, I can say, yes, that law was right. It was wrong for me to do this, to do that, to do the other. But now that I'm saved, it's no longer wrong. That's not anywhere close. I'm actually establishing what the law is teaching me. Keeping in the book of Romans, jump over now to chapter number 6. Romans chapter 6. Verse number 1. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Just pause for station identification. Let me give you the hillbilly rendition of that verse. Should I just keep sinning to put a showcase on grace? Well, if I keep sinning and I keep doing whatever I want to do, then God's grace is just on display in my life. Uh-uh. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death 
that like as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so shall we also walk in newness of life. Now, continuing from there, drop down to verse number 11. Likewise, reckon ye yourselves, also yourselves, to be dead indeed unto sin. Who says that this isn't a hillbilly book? Anybody else ever use the word reckon? I grew up using the word reckon. But alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm pretty sure King James was from uh, Appalachian territory. And yes, I said that correct. It's not Appalachian. Anyway. The law was not voided out, but it was established. And Paul even makes the case for us that we should not continue in sin just to showcase it. But verse 11 through 15 really kind of seals that deal. Look at verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body that ye should obey it in the lusts thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God, for sin shall not have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? Heavens, no! This is the power that is being put into this statement. The term that is translated there is an exclamatory term. When it says, God forbid, it'd be like if one of your kids comes up to you and says, Dad... Johnny got a, a nine-millimeter Uzi. Can I have one? No! What's wrong with you? Are you crazy? So if anybody ever tells you, it's okay for me to continue to live the way I'm living because I'm under grace. Uh-uh. Ain't no way. Under grace, I've just gotten remarried. Look at chapter 7 with me. You're going to like this. Free from the law doesn't mean free to sin. It means I am no longer bound to the law. Ephesians 6.6 6 tells us that we serve out of a heart, out of a loving heart. Doing the will of God, not compulsively, but from the heart. Look at chapter 7, verse number 1. Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath an husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as she liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she shall, uh, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. Stop for a minute. I've heard way too many preachers putting way too many on way too many people taking this way too out of context. We're talking about the law, and he's using an analogy right now. 
Look at verse number four. Wherefore, my brethren, ye also are become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that ye should be married to another. Not free to do whatever you want to do, like a harlot, but to be married to another. Even to him who is raised from the dead, that we should bring forth fruit unto God. For when we were in the flesh... The motions of sin which were by the law did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. But now we are delivered from the law, that being dead wherein we are held, that we should serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say? Is the law sin? God forbid. Nay, I had not known sin but by the law. For I had not known lust except the law said thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. Here's what he's trying to get us to understand. Uh, when, When I realize that the death of the old frees me up to marry another, I understand my sinful state because of the law. I see it there in verse 7. He says, hey, I would not have known if it weren't for the law. I would not have come to I'm approaching God, but I don't know why I can't get to God. The law let me know why I couldn't get to God. And the more I see the law, the more sinful my sin became and the more sinful. Keep reading in chapter 7. You're going to find it really quickly that the more I knew about the law, the more hopeless my condition was. But then Jesus came. Oh, Free. Free. I am free from having to compulsively live by the law. I do not live by the law in order to gain anything. I have now attached myself to Jesus Christ, freed from that to attach to that. Not freed from that to live for this. A lot of people don't like that one. Just get me free from the law. I don't want to attach myself to something else. I ain't going back to the law. See how it does you. You can't keep it. I can't keep it. The Pope can't keep it, much as he thinks he can. I understand my sinful state because of the law. Now, I want you to see something. Look at chapter number 8. You ready for this? Get your white hanky ready because you might need to wave it here in a second. There's therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. (laughs) 
if I truly understand that, I'll never desire to live for myself. If my desire is to get free from the law so I can do whatever I want to do, I have not truly understood him. And my friend, if you have not shuffled off the law, the old husband, and embraced the new husband, where are you? Because of the saving grace of Jesus Christ in my life, I have the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in me, enabling me to be more than I am. The law helped me see just how sinful it was, but because of him, now I can. (laughs) I'm making my way. I want to be with God, but I run into a brick wall. I can't go around it. I can't go over it. I can't dig under it. What can I do? And then this man by the name of Jesus comes with a sledgehammer, and he busts through. The law said, you can't. Jesus says, because I did, you can. But you've got to encounter the wall before you can get to the sledgehammer. Look back at Hebrews chapter 7 with me, and we'll close with this. Now, going through everything that we've seen about the law, the necessity of the law, understanding just how sinful our situation is, look with me at verse number 19, please. Actually, let's go back to verse 18. For there is verily, truly, a disannulling of the commandment going before for the weakness and unprofitableness thereof. For the law made nothing perfect but the bringing in of a better hope did. The law couldn't make me perfect no matter how hard I tried. But when I'm clothed in His Son's blood and His righteousness, when I approach God, He no longer sees my illegal activity, my my sin and my shame. He sees the blood of Jesus Christ and He says, that's my perfect one. I know me. I know I ain't perfect. But because of his son, I am complete. I lack nothing. His son 
died for me, and I accept that payment, there's nothing else I can bring to the table. Nothing. Those who truly understand that fall quickly in love with the law. How do I know if what I'm doing is pleasing and honoring to God? The law. How do I know how to make him smile? The law. Can I keep it? Mm-mm. But he did. And now he dwells within me, enabling me to do what I could not do before. Now, I see the purpose of the law. How about you? You see, just as Paul revealed in Romans 8, the law condemns. Those of us who are indwelt by the Holy Spirit, though the law no longer condemns. And 2 Corinthians 5.14 says it this way, the love of Christ constrains us. I do not work my soul to save that my Lord has done, but I will work like any slave for the love of His dear Son. (laughs) How about you? How clearly do you see your sin? How clearly can you see it? Have you put a haze over it so that you don't have to look at it? Maybe you've put blinders on. How clearly do you see your sin? And how clearly do you see your priest? Understand something. He is a priest forever. (laughs) We're going to look at that closer next week. How clearly do you see him? Do you see him as a sufficient priest? Or did he make a sacrifice that you need to add to? Was his sacrifice good enough? Or do you have to do more? Well, I don't have to do more to get it, but I got to do more to keep it. Whoa, what kind of priest is that? Once. Where's your hope today? Verse 19, for the law made nothing perfect, perfect, but the bringing in of a better hope did. Is your hope today in your ability to keep the law? Is your hope today in your ability to live a certain way and to act a certain way? Is that where your hope is? Or is your hope in nothing less than Jesus' blood and His righteousness? I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but I wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground, sinking sand. Where's your hope today? Is it in your abilities or is it in His?
Father, were it not for hope, we would be of all creatures the most miserable. 